party was awesome. If you missed it, you missed it. We partied. You can have some of the cake, though, but um, we had a really good time. We had 90 people at that party, so, yeah. You know, we never stopped. We, we didn't even stop the volunteer party during COVID, if you can believe that. We had 40 people at a volunteer party uh, it, during COVID, if you can believe that. So this year was uh, really good. It was epic. Um, all the team that participated and everybody that gave so much to make that happen. We want to honor you. You know who you are. It wouldn't have happened even without the volunteers putting the party together. So we just bless you guys with all of that. But um, today is a special Sunday. Anybody know what this Sunday is? That's right. It's Commitment Sunday. So if you're a first-time guest here at Elevate, we want to welcome you, but I want to orient you. This is a Sunday that's kind of a little bit more in-house with the things that we're doing. Um, But we have a vision, and we're embarking on a project today that will enable this church to go to this next to go to the next level. Everybody say it with me. It's a together project. And say this, it's bigger than any individual. And say this, I cannot do everything. But I can do something. You can all be a part of this and you can all do something. So I'm going to walk you through a little bit about the project. Some of you are familiar with it. Some of you are not. And then I'm going to talk to you a little bit, uh, give you some context from Scripture. And then what we're going to do is, um, if you don't have a pledge card, you can get it. But if those of you, we've been praying over this for the last, I don't know, period of time. But if you have your pledge card ready today, what we'll do is we'll bring the, uh, if you need one, Marcus has one. And uh, we're going to bring you up and we're going to lay hands. You're going to lay hands on your card and I'm going to anoint you and release over your life um, for the commitment of honor that you are making. So our project is simple. It's very simple. It's not complex. Our project is to raise $500,000 to purchase a usable property. Uh, we're looking for about five acres. There's some other you know, things within that, that framework, but that's just the simple narrative of that. Um, phase one is to raise the money. So those of you that don't know, and I didn't share this at the party. My wife's like, why didn't you share that? Because I'm like, I had so much stuff to share. I'm trying to, I'm trying to party. But, but some of you know this. Some of you don't. Um, we already have $54,000 raised for the building. Um, yes. Come on. And uh, we've been raising money for a project like this for a while. We put it on hold um, for various reasons. One of the holds that happened was COVID. We're a year and a half out of COVID, but we were raising money for a project for this for about a year, a little bit outside of COVID. And so when we were talking together as a team about how much money we wanted to raise, we all had a number in mind. And, and uh, you know, I, I, you know, the one that put down what we felt like was the, the best number. And then as I began to think about it, half a million dollars, I thought, wow, we already have 10% of the money. So God, and we were looking to rent before, and now we're looking to buy. And so we have uh, $54,000 in, 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 in that. It's a designated account, so that money's over there. But God's already seeded this project with 10%. Amen. Yeah? He's already put 10% in the ground and say, okay, guys, I'm in. Are you? Amen. Are you? Amen. That's wild. And so we came up with a half a million. And when that number kind of came around with where we, we, where we wanted to land, I thought, wow. And I started thinking about it. And I was like, and the Lord's like, you know you already got 54000 And I was kind of like, yeah. And he's like, isn't that around 10%, Kevin? And I'm like, yeah, it's actually closer to 11%, Lord. So we already have the money. So the first phase is to raise the money. The second phase is to acquire the property. The third phase is we're going to establish a preschool. And simple, simple, yes. Simple math, the purpose of the preschool, number one, is you can take all the, in, we've gone over this in great detail, so forgive me if I'm being very general, because we have gone over this in pretty big, big detail. 
purpose of the preschool is to influence the culture. That's number one. And then the second side of that is we want to create a revenue model that pays for the land. And so the preschool will be a nonprofit preschool. It will be a Jesus preschool, but it will be something that will, that will create and enable the land to be self-sustaining. So it'll be, there'll be a self, the, the property will become self-sustaining. So the church, within a certain amount of period of time, will not have to carry the land. That land will be self-sustaining in and of itself. You, get, you got me? Yes, amen. And then after that, we want to establish a ministry center. So what does the ministry center look like? Well, we're working on that. This is as far as we've gotten. Second campus, absolutely, whatever, some, some form, some version of what the Lord lays out for us. So the goal is a kingdom mandate. Elevate has a kingdom mandate. Our job in this world is not to get Jesus more into our lives. Our job in this world is to get our lives more into Jesus. I got one. Our job in this world is not to get more of Jesus in our life. It's to get more of our lives into Jesus. The narrative oftentimes, especially in America, because we're just a bunch of narcissists. I'm an American. My family's ancestry goes back to the founding of this country. So I have, before the founding of this country, so I have every right to speak as an American. Okay? Right? So I'm here. I'm here. That's all I've ever known. And we're basically, so even the way that we sometimes teach the gospel, we teach it from a narcissistic perspective. It's all about you. It's not all about you. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus making your best life now. That has nothing to do with the gospel. It's about seeking first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added unto you. Jesus does have a best life now for you. Guess what? He does. He's got something really good. Right? Created for good works that Jesus has discerned before the foundation of the earth. You all created on purpose with a purpose. All that stuff's good. But even the way we treat, we teach the Christian. And a lot of times what we're doing is we're not really bringing the Christian into the power and the potential that we truly possess. When we're, pre when we're preaching the kingdom this way, we're preaching it the wrong way. It's on earth as it is in heaven. So it's this way and then this way. It's this way and then this way. We get our lives into Christ. We seek his kingdom first. And then things come to us. It's us unto him. Seek, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. That's the narrative. That's the language of the scripture. And so our role in this life is to fulfill the purposes, the mandates, the directions that the Lord has laid over our lives individually and corporately. This is our purpose in this world. This world is a, is, there is no dress rehearsal. This world is preparation for eternity. Your life is how we live in this world. This is how God is examining and looking at your life now. And that bases upon the reward that you will receive in heaven. You say, we all get the same thing. No, we don't. No, we don't. Who told you that? We all get eternal life. That's true. He that overcomes, I will give to rule the nations. Not everyone's going to overcome. They that love my appearing will get the clown, will get, will get a crown. Not everybody's getting that crown because not everybody's going to love his appearing. A lot of Christians aren't going to love the appearing of the Lord. Pastors get a crown. We all get authoritative realms and dominions, and that is directly related to your exercises of your life towards him in this world. It's not based upon the generic. It's based upon the individual and the corporate mandate that you participated with. Mm-hmm. And if you're part of this church, this is part of your calling. This is part of your thing. I was just talking to my wife about it. I have these deep musings sometimes. And, you know, and I was telling her, I said, you know, our language is that we go to church. We go to church. We go to church. Not that we belong to church. You know what I'm saying? Our language is even like we go, like it's a convenience. Like I'm going to go to the store. 
You know, we don't even, we don't, our language isn't even that, it, it doesn't even speak of the integration that the gospel does. We don't go to church. We're a part of a church. We're committing, connect to a church. We're connected to a community. And we're called to commit and connect to the community. I was telling her just, we, I shared the statistics uh, at, the, at, at the volunteer dinner. Um, the vast majority of churches in America are under 100, per, 100 people. And then the second tier is under 500. And there are more Christians that attend worship services on Sunday morning under 100 people than there are in megachurches. The megachurch population of Christians that go, so I have a point with this. The megachurch population is about 5 million worshipers on a Sunday. Churches that are under 100 is 9 million. 9 million. And so you don't have to be a large church to affect change. Jesus never designed the megachurch to be the ones that affect change. Typically, your most influential and powerful cult churches are under, I would say for sure under 1,000, but usually under 500. Those are the ones that have the most power and the most potential. They do because they challenge and grow the life of the Christian, the life of the individual. Anybody's ever gone to a megachurch? And I was part of a megachurch for a long time. I worked with a megachurch. I left a megachurch to go to work with another church because it's like the challenges were, it just was not the same. My growth level was not the same. What was placed in and over my life and where I felt like I could go was not the same. Was not the same. Another story, another day. Nothing against mega churches. God bless them, every single one of them. If Jesus elevates me in mega churches, that's fine. I don't. I'm not. I'm not against that. I'm just simply giving us perspective that we, even though we're not this, you know, gigantic spaceship that exists in the city of Miami, this church can be effective. Amen. This church can affect change. This is what I'm trying to say. Jesus hasn't called us to be cool. He's called us to be effective. I tell that to pastors sometimes because all the pastors are wanting to be cool. I'm like, he's not called you to be cool. He's called you to be effective. Amen. Now, if you can be effective and cool, all the better. Amen. But if, you, if one's got to go, it's not effectiveness. And a lot of times what we do, again, is we get rid of our effectiveness of ministry and we trade it for cool. We try to be culturally relevant and at the same time we're becoming kingdom irrelevant. We're irrelevant to his kingdom. We're relevant to this culture, but we're irrelevant to his kingdom because we're trying to be cool. We have to get rid of cool and focus on effectiveness. Cool, let cool come after. Look, I'm into cool. I like cool. I like cool. I'm, I'm in. I doubt I'm in. I like being in with the in crowd. But when you come to Jesus, you're in with the in crowd. You don't need, you're in with the most in crowd in the world. You are in with the in crowd. Jesus is and always will be a builder. The Lord is a builder. Always has been, always will be. Upon this rock I will build mine. That's right. He's building his church. He's building the lives of individual believers, and his desire is to build his church, his community, his ecclesia, the assembly of the called out ones. And in the assembly of the called out ones, he builds uniqueness within the individuals, commits them together corporately in order to create influence within the culture. It's never solely about the individual, ever, ever. It's a personal relationship with Jesus, yes and no. It's always about the ecclesia. Ekaleo is the word. It's never, upon this rock I will build the individual person. That's not what he says. And say that at all. Upon this church I will build the akaleo. I will build the assembly of the ones that I've called out of darkness into light. That I've called out of a culture and into a kingdom. I will build an assembly of those people. And from that assembly of those people, I will affect change within the culture. That's the idea. That's the plan. 
That's, it, these, these, these are the things that the scripture teaches. And what happens is, so if the scripture teaches that, then the power is there. And the enemy, therefore, will oppose power because Satan doesn't oppose Jesus. He opposes the anointing. The devil never opposes Jesus. We got this all wrong. He opposes the anointing. He's anti-Christ. He's not anti-Jesus. He's anti-anointing. So wherever God creates a flow of power, the enemy steps in and disrupts and dis tries to disband that flow of power. He tries to break the unity within the church. He tries to take the church and turn it into narcissists, right? You will be like God. It'll be about Jesus getting into your life. No, it's about me getting my life into Jesus. Try that one out and see what changes. See, it'll, everything will change. And so he opposes that. He wants the church to focus on individuality. When it's not individuality, it's corporate. It's corporate. The Godhead is corporate. Let us, Elohim, Father, Son, and Spirit, it's always corporate. Always. Always. And so this is what he's doing. And his desire for us, well, you are an assembly of called out ones. You are in this city at this time for this purpose. Amen. Do you understand that? Amen. You are in this city at this time for this purpose. I tell Christians all the time, you're a believer in Miami. You're, you're at the top of the game. Jesus must see something good in you. This is special forces here, people. Amen. <laughs> Have you been around? It's one of the least evangelized cities in America. One of the lowest populations. A few years ago, uh, Fast Company did a report, and they said the, the, the number one city in America where you will least likely find a person who will confess to be a Christian. You know what number one was? Miami. Wasn't Seattle. Wasn't even New York. It was Miami. Hmm? How many knows God wants to do a revival in Miami? Amen? I say, well, if the devil's opposing Miami so hard, there must be some gold under that bar sand. You know, there must be some gold in those hills. The enemy is that, is that committed to suppressing the gospel in this city, then there must be power here. Then there must be revolution here. And God, and what we have to do is change our perspective to a kingdom perspective. And I declare now, Miami will be saved in the name of Jesus. I command the opening of the well of revival in this city, the opening of awakening in this city. Sons and daughters far and near will come to Christ. Lives will be changed. Demonic power broken in the name of Jesus. Miami needs Jesus. This desert will bloom in Jesus' name. And you're part of the solution. You're not part of the problem. You're part of the solution. And the, God, the, the devil fears when churches will unite. The devil fears when Christians will unite. When we are unified, there is nothing that is withheld from us. Nothing. Nothing. That's why he tries to break unity. He tries to bring discouragement. He tries to bring despair. He tries to get you to look at your circumstances, look at your situation. He's trying to get you to look at things that are not, that are not they're just subject to change. You're the first fruits of a kingdom work. You're the first fruits of this church. You're the first fruits of a new movement. God is changing Elevate. So we were talking about in the leadership meeting. We're mature. This church has grown up quite a bit. We're not babies anymore. Church turned 13. We're teenagers. You know what that means? It means we don't care. We don't care. Right? You always wanted to be a teenager again with wish granted in the name of Jesus. We don't care. This church is changing. We're renewing. We're reviving. We're redefining. We're restructuring. We're going in a different way. And you're the first fruits of that. When a king had a vineyard... 
the first portion was given, was the first, for, the first fruits of the vineyard was given to the king. And you know what it was called? The king's portion. You're the king's portion. You're part, if you're part of this family, you're part of this movement, you're part of Elevate, you're part of the first fruits of something brand new, and you are the king's portion. You are, come on, say it with me. I am the king's portion. <laughs> the best wine goes to Jesus. Yeah? In business, they call, them, they, they call the beginning of a movement, there's early adopters, there's people that get it off the rip. They just understand it. They understand it before anybody else understands it. Oh, y'all got iPhones now, right? Who bought, who, was, who bought an iPhone for the first time in the last year? Anybody? No, you never had an iPhone before and you bought it. So really what there are, so this is a business curve, if you're looking at business, they call them early adopters, the people that grasp and understand the technology immediately. Then they call them mavens. We would call them influencers. But, now, but influence has become like, almost like artificial. Before there was social media, um, there, there was something called mavens. They would just be trendsetters that would show other people how to interpret um, what, what was. Hush puppies was a revolution that happened to a bunch of, bunch of artists wearing vintage hush puppies in New York. And then all of a sudden, hush puppy. Anybody remember the hush puppy revolution? Some of y'all still got them. You're waiting for them to come back in style. Right? Like the velvet jacket my wife's got on. She's been holding on to that for a while. Back in style. Yeah? And so mavens show others the way to go. Then you have the middle mass. The middle mass is the non-thinking masses. They just show up. They're the crowd that shows up when, all the, when everything hits. That's the middle mass. That's what marketers are going after. They're going after the middle mass. So they try to find the maven and the influencer to, to influence the middle mass. Because the middle mass just goes, we don't think, we just follow, we don't think. We just follow. Nothing wrong with the middle mass. It's just the way they are. Then you got the late adopters. The late adopters are like, well, I guess I should get one. Everybody else has one. That's the late adopters. Those are your skeptics and your critics, the guys that come, the people that come in on the back end. Kingdom's built the same way. And you all are mavens. You guys were past the page of early adopters. You're the people that get to show people what this is like, get to demonstrate what this is like. The mavens. Yeah. Mavens are the power, power brokers because they're the influencers. I mean, everybody's a social media influencer. Everybody's got the title, but it's like, really? Who really is a social media? But again, it's kind of artificial because it's pumped up. It's not really a natural thing. Somebody gives you a product and says, hey, put this on your social media. It doesn't mean that the person that's putting it on their social media even likes it, right? They don't even like it. They're just getting paid to do it. Mavens are those who naturally grab it and move it forward. That's, that's what that's all about. So what happens, it begins with Moses. So now I just want to share with you a little bit of the vision. Commitment Sunday, we're moving forward. We have the opportunity to make a difference. We have the opportunity to invest in something that's greater than our lives. It began with Moses. Jesus chose a bunch of ragtag people who were sick and tired of being sick and tired. A bunch of people who were oppressed and enslaved and in bondage to a culture that they didn't want to be a part of, and they cried out, and God sent them a deliverer. He sent them a Moses. And he chooses these people, and they're, they're, they're ragtag. We got this image. This is all through the scripture. We got this image that God uses these perfect people. He uses the complete opposite of perfect people. He uses the dysfunctional. He uses the broken, the shot out, and the rejects. He chooses the Hebrew people. You know what the Hebrew, you know what the word Hebrew means? Those people. That's literally what the word means. Hebrew, the people from over there. 
The people on the other side of the tracks, the people from the other side of the river, the people from there. Oh, you're a Hebrew. You're from over there. Oh, you're one of those people. Outcasts and rejects is who Jesus, Jesus uses. He uses that in with Moses. He takes a Hebrew people, a bunch of people nobody wanted, a bunch of people that were just oppressed and sick and tired of being sick and tired and wanted to be part of something that was bigger than their lives. And so they listened to the Lord and they followed him out of their bondage and, they talked and he brought them into a greater place. Do you know Jesus likes punk? You know punk rocks in the Bible? I don't know if you guys know punk rocks in the Bible. Did you know that? Yeah? David is the one who formed the first punk rock band. David was a musician. It's called David and the Rejects. So true. The Bible says David's mighty men. Do you know who his mighty men were? You should read the story sometime. Complete and total rejects. People nobody wanted. Rejects from society people that nobody wanted to touch and nobody wanted to deal with. See, the church says God uses the, the morally superior, the sanctified, the person who's got it all together. Ooh. That is not the way the story goes. You cannot find that narrative anywhere except among the Pharisees. You know where you find the holiness narrative and where everybody's sanctimoniously and sanctified and, you know, high and tight and I don't have any sin in my life and I got everything perfect and going on, brother, and I'm just superior? You only find that narrative among the Pharisees. We pursue righteousness. We are righteous, but we're pursuing righteousness and trying to bring our lives into order with this kingdom. That's what it's all about. But the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible, the Bible uses the rejects. David and the rejects, man. It's awesome. <laughs> no one saw anything in them. Life had kicked their butts. Can I get a witness? No one has saw anything in you. No one. But Jesus saw something in you. Isn't that amazing? No one saw anything in them. And they come to David, and David says, hey, man, we can do something together, you bunch of social rejects. <laughs> David was a reject. Huh? You guys know the story? Saul goes to anoint the next king of Israel. We, we worship David. We don't even know the story of David. We don't even understand it. Put that in real time. All your brothers get come. To, you, you got 10 brothers, whatever it is. And all the brothers are coming. Your big, tall brother, the one who's muscular, right? One who looks like Peyton Manning, you know, or, Bre or whatever the other guy is, Tom Brady. You know, good looking, turtleneck on, beautiful hair, <laughs> smile and glistening teeth, you know, just like, woo. And, and Samuel looks at him and goes, this is the guy. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. And the Lord's like, nope, not him. And he goes down the line, not him, not him, not him. And he reaches the end and there's no one else. And he looks, at, he looks at Jesse and he says, do you have any more kids? You know what Jesse says? Oh, yeah, there's David. Huh? Forgotten even of his father. Many of you, there are people in this room that have been forgotten of your father. You never knew your father. Your father didn't give you the time of day. Your father didn't care about you. Maybe emotionally separated from you. Doesn't matter. You've been forgotten of your father. That, that, the story of David should minister to you because he was forgotten of his father, but he was not forgotten of the Lord. God saw him. God noticed him, and God called him. And so David himself was that person. David was that. You say, no one wants me. Well, the church probably under its, under its own terms doesn't want you. We create standards that we can't even live up to. Look, man, I'm a pastor, you know. I'm going to tell you what time it is. I go to pastor's conferences, and all these guys look like they got it going on, and they're all shining everybody, and I'm just like, you know. I honor you for the position you hold, but you're not fooling me, bro. 
you know, who, who, you, who are you fooling? That's just that one just in Dallas. I've seen it before. These guys walk around with an entourage. They've got like four bodyguards. Like they're Solomon, you know. They got somebody around them. I always want to ask them, who's trying to kill you, man? Who is trying to kill you, man? You need four bodyguards, man? Seriously? You need three cell phones? Are you that important? Are you that important? We neuter the power that God intends. We neuter the power that God intends. It's power together. It's corporate power. Ragtags. You know who David's mighty men became? The rulers of Israel. They ruled Israel with David. All of them. David, when he got the power, he didn't take any of the people that were in power. He got rid of them all. And you know who he used? The Abishais, right? He used all of those who served him, right? He used the Adonijahs. He used the guys who were with him in the battle and with him in the cave. The ragtags, nobody wanted. The rejects, nobody wanted. They became the princes of Israel. The princes. And many of them even served his son. They went past David and served Solomon. Hmm? Say, I'm a reject. Welcome to the planet. Good news, all the losers get a crown. Right? Get over yourself. God, ex God resists the proud. If you think you're sanctimonious and you got it all together, God resists the proud and exalts the humble. So you better start getting over yourself because it's not about you. It's not about how good you look and all that other stuff. Yes, I love God. I honor God. But also, I know who he is. I know who I am. I'm a son. I'm a son before him, and I live righteously and live my life towards him and unto him. But I know who's boss, and I know whose light I stand in. Hmm? And I know this kingdom is far bigger than me, and this kingdom will exist, has existed before me, and it will exist after me. But I'm given, as you are, a window of time. And God says, what will you do for me in this window of time? What will you partner with me on in this moment in time? And that's what we have right here. We have an opportunity to partner with him. They, you know what they did? All of them. David changed worship in his generation. Moses changed worship in his generation. Oh, can we talk about Jesus? Do you know all, all the 11 of the 12 disciples were Bible school dropouts? They were rejects. Israel was built on a religious system where they learned the Talmud and they learned the, they learned, they learned the law. Israel did not teach math, science, all of these other things. They taught only the word of God. So their whole system of schooling, they still do it today. The, Hasid, the Hasidics do it today. Their whole school, is their whole system of education is based on Talmudic. It's all based on it. Now they don't teach the Bible, they teach rabbis, but nonetheless, it's still there. They didn't emphasize math and sciences and all these other things. They emphasized the word. And you only got to move on if you were really good. If you weren't really good, would they go, ah, you should go be a fisherman. You know, you should go be a farmer. You know, all these different things. And so most of these guys, all of them, were social rejects. All of them. They didn't make the cut according to man's standards. Peter didn't make the cut. James and John didn't make the cut. St. Peter. St. Peter. He's, you know, then you have the other one. You know, you have another one. You have Levi. Matthew's probably one of my favorites. Matthew's name was Levi, which means he was a Levite, which means he was an Aaronic prince or an Aaronic priest, which means he was highly educated. Why is a Levite a tax collector? Because he hated the hypocrisy of the system. And he says, I refuse to be a part of this system, this system of hypocrisy and lies. And Jesus looked at him and said, my kind of guy, follow me, Matthew. Hmm? Saint Matthew, 
No, not St. Matthew. And do you know why Matthew followed him? Because he finally found what he was looking for. He found the truth that he had wanted his whole life. And all of the lies and the deceit and all of the nonsense that existed within the system, he didn't want any part of it. And he saw Jesus and he saw what he wanted. And he left everything. People say they, they left their boats. I always tell people it, they, they, they didn't leave all. Peter went back to fishing. Matthew couldn't go back. The one who really left all was Matthew. Matthew left it all. He couldn't go back to the table. That table was paid for. And when you left the table, somebody else bought that table and took over your job. He couldn't go back. Peter, James, and John, they all went back fishing. That's where Jesus found them. They didn't leave. Oh, they left their nets. You got to leave your nets. How about leave your table? You want a guy who leaves all? Look at Matthew. That's a guy that leaves all. He left it all. His, his is the greatest story. His is, to me, it's the greatest story. He couldn't stand the hypocrisy. He couldn't, have, he couldn't stand all the shining. He couldn't stand all the religion. He wanted truth. And he wanted reality. He wanted a faith that worked. He wasn't interested in religion and pretense and all this other stuff. Come on. Come on. I got one. It's all I need. First Peter. You want to talk about rejects? Watch this. And you, ready? That's you and I. We come to Jesus as living stones. We're living stones. Read the next verse. Rejects of men. <laughs> you guys are getting real quiet. You're like, what? <laughs> we come to Christ living stones, being rejected of men, but chosen of God. Rejected of people. These are the most powerful disciples. The most powerful disciples are the rejects. Huh? The rejects. <laughs> I'm telling you what everybody doesn't want you to know right now. <laughs> You're the most powerful disciples. Jesus says, Peter's like, where am I going, man? Nobody else wants me. You're the only one that's ever seen any value in me. You're the only one who's ever cared for me. I'm not going anywhere. Nobody loves me like you, Jesus. I'm not going anywhere. You see, the other ones will leave, but the rejects won't. Think about your dogs, right? I've had pedigree dogs. I've had people give, my wife used to work with a lot of rich people in the business she was in. They were always giving her things. I had pedigree dogs given to us. Pedigree dogs were great, loving dogs, but the best dogs I ever had were mutts. Mutts. Complete mutts. Dog that just stares at you when you walk in the door and just lays there, looking at you like, I love you so much, man. You're just everything to me. <laughs> you go outside and are looking at you through the window. Yeah, you, where are you going? Are you back? You're back. <laughs> That's it. That's it. He gathers them together and he asks them to build a work. God gathers the rejects and he builds the most powerful. The tabernacle was built through rejects. The temple, the kingdom of David, David's kingdom was built through rejects. This kingdom was started with rejects. With rejects. Huh? <laughs> You know what happens? You're rejected because you've never been a part of that world. Your destiny, we're princes and princesses of the living God. Amen. We are the royalty of heaven. Amen. We are. We are the royalty of heaven. When you stand before him, you'll see it. You better start understanding it now because you're going to be like, wow, I could have done so much more. Because you can't see yourself as you are. You're sons and daughters of the highest. You wear royal robes. Hmm? You're called in this world to be princes, to minister unto him, to receive from him, and to release. That's what this project's all about. What do you want, Father? What do you want, Lord? We minister unto you. This is what I want, Kevin. Make it happen. Make it happen. That's what it's all about. 
and we come together as an apostolic community, and we go forth and we do what Jesus asks us to do. Exodus, and here's, the, here's what happened. Moses, God gathers the rejects, tells Moses to build the building. And he says in Exodus 36, he says this, the Lord commanded Moses. He says, tell my people to bring me an offering. First thing is, tell my people. Those who are actually my people will hear what I'm saying. And you will receive this offering from everyone whose heart is alive within them to give. You understand that? Tell my people, the ones who claim my name and the ones who have life within their heart, that this is what I want. These are the offerings you're to, believe, you're to receive from them. Gold, silver, bronze, purple, scarlet. What he's saying is Bitcoin, you know, stock, whatever. Whatever the, whatever the currency was, they were to receive it in order to build the house and the work of God. And they were to receive everything that they had. And the Lord says to them, this, they shall make for me a sacred space. And I will move among them. They're going to build something sacred for me. And when they build this sacred space for me, I'm going to begin to move among them. He's moving among us now. This is just another project, another space where he can move among us. Make this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly to the pattern that I've shown you. Do what I've told you. Lead the people this way and you tell them what I said. And let their hearts be alive to give. Or not. It's the tithe and the offering. This isn't the tenth. This is the offering. This is above and beyond. This is totally in the Bible. Every time God did it, he put it before the people. Every time God did it, he put it before the people. And it was a test of their dedication, and it was a test of their hearts. You say, I'm dedicated to the Lord. Where your treasure is, there your Right, right. Put your money where your mouth is. Put your money where your mouth is. I put my money where my mouth is. I can assure you of that. An offer, it was an offering of dedication. And he said, oh, this money's dedicated. It had nothing to do with the money. What it was is it was a representation that says, Lord, I am dedicated to you, and I am dedicated to your work, and here's the proof. Amen. That's what it was. An offering of a dedicated heart. And here's the proof, Lord. Jesus, we're with you, and Jesus, we are your dedicated. And he says, follow that pattern. And what happened? You want to know what happened? Watch this. The people went all in. They went all in. And in Exodus 36, he says, the people are bringing more, say with me, more than, more than enough. Two times in four verses, he says more than enough. The people are bringing more than enough than the Lord has commanded us to receive. In other words, they're supposed to raise a half a million. They raise, they raise like 650. They're like, okay, we're good. We're good. We cool. We cool. We're good. Right? And it says, after Moses has given the order, he has sent a proclamation among the camp. How would you like this one? No one else should bring any more offerings to the Lord for the sanctuary. This was the dedicated offering. It wasn't the support offering. It was the dedicated offering. And so the people were restrained. Literally, it said they had to be held back. They had to literally stop the people from giving. No more. You're like, no, dude, I got it. It's right here. I got it. No, I can't give it. Can't you take this? No, I can't give it. Okay, I'm just going to throw it over your shoulder. You know, they had to be forced to stop to give. They had more than enough. There's the next verse. You know who were the first to give? The leaders. That's exactly right. So if you're a leader here, you need to be the first to give. Say, I don't want to give. Okay, well, then that's not my problem. That's your problem. <laughs> number, number seven number seven says this, the leaders and the heads of Israel. So Numbers is telling the same story in a parallel so is the leadership of Israel. You know what they did? They went before the people 
and they modeled the giving before the people. The leadership modeled the giving before the people. They brought carts and oxen and abundance. So the leadership brought the abundance and said, this people is how you give. We're going to show you how to get this done. And it says, those who were charged and counted the offerings of the tabernacle, the people became so blessed, the offerings so great. Moses is like, we're good. And watch what happens now. You know what happens? So then we go to Numbers 7 and Numbers 8. And there's an interesting transition that begins to happen. Once they obeyed and did and everything that happened, the Bible says everything became anointed. Everything became, an anoint became anointed. A new anointing came upon them. Anybody want a new anointing? <laughs> Come on. How would you like to be a part of a church that's receiving a new anointing from the Lord? Not this pseudo, we got a new anointing. I'm talking about the real stuff. We want the real stuff. A new anointing came on the house. A new voice was given to the house. Moses, God began to speak to Moses in a way that he had never spoken to Moses before. God begins to speak to Moses in a new paradigm, in a new dimension. So they had a new anointing. They had a new, they had a new, a new voice. And they were given new instruction and a new birth. And God said, shave them. Tell the priests to shave. So the priests had to shave. So we're kind of going Telly Savalas kind of style here. Dana White, maybe. I don't know anybody else who's like that. But, you know, completely shaved. All the priests come before the people, and they were shaved. And it represented new birth. God is bringing a birth, a new birth to you, Israel. A new birth to you. A new life. A new beginning. And it's representative of the ones who minister before me, and they were without hair. <laughs> I thank God we're all priests now so that I won't have to. No, I'm just kidding. So they were given a new birth. They were given a new level of ministry, went into the lives of the people. The Lord said all of the people sanctified themselves, and all of the people got new garments. A newness came upon the lives of the people. See, see what happens when we do this? You see what happens? There was a new light born. Uh, Numbers uh, chapter 8, the Lord commanded the priests to light the lamps. Lamps that had never been lit have never been lit began to burn. Can you imagine if we do a work and a light that has never been lit begins to burn? What would that look like if we began to light a lamp that had never been lit before? A new light came into the earth because the people, God didn't bring the new light. He, they, they did what he told them to, and then he said, now light it. You know, we're waiting for Jesus to do it. He's waiting on us to partner with him and bring a new light into the earth. So what are we asking for? We're asking you to put faith on it. We're asking you to believe. We're asking you to believe God for a number, and we're asking you to make a commitment. It's an 18-month commitment. What can you give in 18 months? We're trying to raise a half a million. You know, we took the challenge on to ask to put it before the people and ask the people, because we're a prophetic church. We believe Jesus speaks to you. And we believe God will give you a number, and he'll give you an idea of what you're going to commit to. And as Marcus testified many times, he said God gave him numbers way above his head. He said he didn't know how it was going to happen, but it happened. Did you ever fail to meet that commitment when you went above your head, Marcus? No. Not once, right? He's been a part of several building programs in other churches. He said every time it was more than I thought I could give, and God met it every single time, and he never failed. He never failed. So that was the challenge that we took on, was let's do it that way. Put faith on it. We want you to believe. Say this with me. I am the one that God wants to use in this generation, in this moment. It's you. It's not your neighbor. It's not your cousin. It's not your, you know, it's not the pastor. He wants to use you. When God gives us opportunity, he's inviting us into something. 
It's an invitation. It's an honor. When we have an honor to participate with the Lord in something that he wants to do, he is honoring us. He's not burdening us. He is honoring us. The people kept giving. You know why the people kept giving? Because they started seeing the blessing. It took them a couple of years. It took them a little while to raise that money. The Bible doesn't say that the tabernacle happened in five months. It didn't happen like that. They had to gather the money and build the tabernacle. Gavel the money and build the tabernacle. But the people were experiencing blessing during that time. And they're like, man, there's something different. I started doing this, and all of a sudden, I'm blessed. So what's interesting, I always say this. This is an interesting story, too. Of all the things the priests never stopped doing, they never stopped tithing. You know, the one thing you think that the greedy sort of self-righteous priests, the Levites, the Pharisees would do is they would stop tithing. That's the one thing you think they would do. If they're going to cheat anywhere, they're going to cheat there. But that's the place they didn't cheat because they knew the blessing of it. And they loved money, and they saw the return, and they saw the return. So they never stopped tithing because they saw the return. And Jesus rebuked them because they neglected not the tithe. They neglected mercy, justice, compassion. He said, you should tithe, yes, but you should also not neglect weightier matters such as mercy, love, and justice. It's interesting. That's a very interesting perspective. We're asking you to put faith on it. We're asking you to believe that you are the one for such a time as this. Such a time as this, Mordecai told Esther. You've come to this time and this purpose in this church, in this season, in this city, for be a part of this. If you won't, as Mordecai told Esther, Jesus is going to bring it another way. Don't worry. God will bring it another way. But you not only will be passed over, you and your house will perish. That's what he told Esther. God moves on. He invites many to his wedding feast. And those that don't come, I've shared it many times, God moves on. That's not just salvation. God invites you to be a part of something that he wants to do. And when you won't come, you know what he does? He says, find another. That's what he says. I'm sick of their excuses. Find another. Do you want to be that person? It's in the Bible. Oh, kind, merciful Jesus. You need to read who Jesus is. There needs to be a revelation on who Jesus really is. I shared it a couple weeks ago. We have this whole marshmallow concept of Jesus. Like, read the book of Revelation. You know what's called? The revelation of Jesus Christ. The revealing of who he truly is. Read the book of Revelation and you'll get a pretty good picture of who he is. Merciful, compassionate, but he's also authoritative. He's also judgmental towards those who reject him. He releases the judgment that they're asking for. He withholds it in grace. Another story, another day. But we have marshmallow Jesus in our culture. He's not like that. The king is inviting you to become part of a project, and you have the opportunity. You cannot. You don't have to. But you know what will happen? You'll be passed by. And you know what God will do? He'll find another. It might take him another six months. It might take him another year, but he'll pass you by. He'll pass you by. I refuse to let Jesus pass me by. He passed. Bartimaeus was getting passed by. Jesus would never pass me by. Jesus said, oh, yes, he would. He passed by sick people, lame people, broken people. He passed right by them, walked right on by, right on by. You're loved and you're accepted in his kingdom, but there's a whole difference between love and acceptance and destiny. Love and acceptance is what we receive when we come to Christ. Destiny is what we enter into when we begin to partner with his purposes. And most Christians never reach the level of maturity to partner with his purposes. As I was praying, and even before I was talking, laying out this map for kind of where we're going to go with the leadership meeting, um, one of the things I was talking about, I was, like, I was talking to the Lord about it, 
you know, and I'm like, you know, talking about doing a re-emphasis on discipleship. And the Lord was just, I couldn't connect to that. And I'm like, why can't I connect to discipleship? And so I started talking to the Lord about it. And he said, you need to re-emphasize maturity. Maturity precedes discipleship. Discipleship is just learning. We need to call the people to emotional maturity, which is discipleship. It's really the discipleship of maturity. You can put it that way. You know? But we disciple people through knowledge rather than growth. And we need to disciple people into emotional and spiritual maturity to stop being thumb suckers and wearing diapers and rolling in a corner and feeling sorry for ourselves, to rise to the level of our birth and to become sons and daughters that are known in our generation, that are known in our generation. Another story, another day. So that's my challenge to you. I'll give you this one, Shakespeare. Huh? How about even a little Shakespeare, Twelfth Night. Say it with me, some are born for greatness. Some achieve greatness, and others have greatness thrust upon them. Greatness is being thrust upon you. Greatness comes with opportunity, and there's no greater person than to commit to with Jesus. Here's my last challenge, is commit. We're asking you to put faith on it, and we're asking you to commit. I want you to say this with me. There will be dragons. There will be dragons, Christian. There will be dragons. The devil will oppose you on every front. You're going to make an effort to step into the things of the Lord. You're going to make an effort to step out into the things of God. And when you step out into the things of God, he's going to oppose you. Hmm? Kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Violence taken by force. When they were lavishing generosity upon Jesus, there will always be a Judas there to tell you you've wasted it. Always. You'll have a family member going, what are you giving to the church for? Why do you know that? You don't even know what they do with the money. You give it to those churches, you're going to go broke. You'll have a Judas in your family. You'll have a Judas in your household. Huh? You'll have a Judas even within your own heart. You've wasted it. You could have bought a car with that. You could have put your kids in private school with that. You could have done this. You could have done that. You could have done this. Again, the narrative is the Lord says, you put my house first, I'll put your house first. That's the narrative of the book of Haggai, and that's the narrative of when God spoke to David. He said, David, because you want to build me a house, I will build your house. Yeah, you want God to build your house, build his. Build his. Another story. Don't have time to get into that. If there's going to be dragons, you're going to have opposition. You're going to make a commitment, and you're going to feel like all the wind is sucked out of you, and the enemy's going to oppose you. You're going to think, oh, what did I do? Why am I doing this? You've wasted it. That's a Judas. You kill that Judas. <laughs> kill the voice of Judas. Yes. Cain and Judas are not your friends. They're spirits. The spirit of Cain and the spirit of Judas are not your friends. There will be dragons. We fight the fight of faith. Last verse. Oh, we have an app. Alex, throw the app up there. We have an app. Elevate has a church app. Uh, is, this, is this both um, Apple and Android? This is both. All right, you can QR code, download the app, and you're going to get, this is what, you're going to get something like this. You have the messages. We're, we're building it out. We still got some things there. But one of the things that we, we have on there is, the, is the, the giving platform, and as you give to, pledge to the building fund. You can do your regular giving through the app, and you can also uh, put on automated giving. 
Uh, if you make a pledge and you want to give to the building program, you can go on the app, go to the giving thing. We'll have some demos in the next couple of weeks as we get this thing going. And uh, on the, uh, you'll be able to automate your giving to the building program right on the, right on the app. And there's a lot of other things there. We have the connections. It's going to really become a hub of communication for Elevate. So I encourage you to download the app. You say, how do I download it? You guys know what this is? It's a QR code, right? You just kind of take a picture of it, and there'll be like a little thing, and you just go to the website, and you can download it. Nobody's downloading this? You can download it now if you want to. What's that? Did it at the party. Download the app. Um, be rich in God. So those, who, those of you who are prepared, uh, I'll let you all just take a second. I'll give you a couple minutes to do that if you want to do that. But those of you that have prepared, um, I'm going to ask Sherry to come. Pastor Sherry, uh, my wife. Sherry, to me, uh, those of you who've prepared your card and if you're ready to, get, to make the commitment today, I'm going to ask you to come forward. You don't have to hold your card out to me. Just hold the card in your he hand. Wants, he, he wants to uh, pass out the cards. Oh, Marcus wants to pass out the cards. If you want a card, we got a card for you. Marcus will pass out the card for you. And we're just going to pray over you, and we want to anoint you for consecration, and we want to anoint you for victory um, in this commitment and on this journey, if you'd like one. Amen? <laughs> right. We have an early adopter right here. Come on. Come on, Ileana. So if you're prepared to have it, you can come up. If you're writing it out, we'll just take a couple minutes. If you're not prepared today and you're not sure, you need more time, it's fine too. But today is when the day when we're going to just release over those that want to be a part of it. Amen. Come on. Don't be shy. You can play a little music, a little light background music. We got any light worship music? Any, any um, instrumental? Do we have the Alejandro Arias uh, play? No, I'm just joking. Alejandro has his own playlist. All right. So I need you guys to come forward. Just form a line. We're going to lay hands on the, on, the, on the card. We'll just wait a couple more minutes. There's more people coming. All right. Okay, so if you're still coming, just form it down there. I'm going to pray this way, right? My love, you want to pray? Yes. You want me to actually pray? Just release over them. You can follow me or you can go before me. Doesn't matter. Um, do you want to? Okay. You want to do what you. Oh, that's fine. You can end the live stream, Alex. You can end the live stream. Yeah, that's fine. Thank you. All right, so just hold up your commitment. Just say this to Father. I want to partner with you. I believe in your purposes in the city of Miami, in the, in the county. Of the I am, I believe, Lord. And so I make this offering to you, and I make this dedication to you to be a part of everything that you are doing. And, Lord, I pray for the increase. I pray for the abundance. And I pray for the overflow. And I give this to you, Lord, as an act of love and an act of sacrifice in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we just lay hands upon you. And we just consecrate you in the name of Jesus for victory and for overcoming in the name of Jesus in this commitment.